Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today for a bit of a treat We have talked on Done and Done about Truman Capote this season. We've had a season on Marilyn Monroe as well. Today, I want to bring the two of them together for you in a delicious slice of writing from Truman Capote from his music for Chameleons. This is a day that Truman Capote will write about hanging out with Marilyn Monroe in April 1955. This day happens after the funeral of Marilyn's acting coach in New York City. Constance Collier is the lady being honored. There are a lot of spider webs in this one. Catherine Hepburn and Errol Flynn, Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Philip II, and that's only at the beginning. This chapter, A Beautiful Child, really is glorious in what it reveals. I would be remiss in Capote's coterie. If I did not pull out for y'all, Truman Capote's starlet swan, Marilyn Monroe, in our journey. For folks with smaller ears around them, this is not a story for younger children. Marilyn Monroe and Truman Capote are having an adult conversation. It is a little bit saucier than your typical done-and-done episode. You have been cautioned. We will be back next week to wind down the Truman Capote threads and ramp up our man Nick at the same time. We have such an adventure this summer ahead of us. As always, thank you for tuning in, for your kind emails and reviews, for your support over at patreon.com slash done and done. I am so grateful to all of you. I do hope you enjoy this little slice of 1955 with Truman and Marilyn wandering through the city and the adventure they undertake. This really is the best kind of eavesdropping. Dominic Dunn certainly participated in some racy conversations. He was the guy who knew everything. People wanted to tell him their secrets, but our man Nick never wrote it down in quite the same way Truman Capote has here. April 28, 1955. A day to remember. Let's investigate. Hey, 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 investigators. We are back for a brand new episode of Not Done Yet. First, a huge thanks to you all for letting me pull some of these out for the main feed. I wanted to catch everybody up. Y'all have been so patient. We're coming back to new episodes this Monday. You'll have that on Sunday. But today, holy cats, I have a treat for y'all on Not Done Yet today. 
Let's see, how do I even preface the magic that is about to happen? Truman Capote in his swan set had two starlet swans. The first of those starlet swans we have talked a little bit about with Jennifer Jones. The second of those starlet swans we have talked about in incredible detail, Marilyn Monroe. I have the most delicious, exciting little rabbit hole for y'all today that I have been sitting on for the longest time. Essentially, not the reason for the Maryland series or the Truman series, but this slice of writing from Music for Chameleons by Truman Capote released after the Answered Prayers chapter. He writes this late 70s, early 80s. There's one particular chapter in here that goes through a a, a hangout sesh between Truman Capote and Marilyn Monroe. The magnificent thing about this, I mean, Truman is such a sharp writer. It's set to a particular date, April 28th, 1955. 1955 is really when the world shakes up for a lot of our folks. So let's benchmark April 1955. Truman has met Babe Paley. Back at the end of 54, they're becoming friends. So he is, Truman is, about to get engulfed into kind of a new set. You know, Truman wants Marilyn for Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany's in 1955 is really germinating within Truman's brain pan, so to speak. Truman makes a big move that year. Truman in 1955 is going to move into the basement apartment in the home of Elliot Smith. Oliver Smith? Why can't I remember his name? I'm doing this no notes. Oliver Smith, I think. He's about to move. Truman is into this place, and we'll have some follow-up on that. Uh, April 1955, Dominic and Lenny are celebrating, have just celebrated their first year anniversary. Remember, they're living In New York City at the time, we have the first anniversary for Patricia Kennedy and Peter Lawford as well. In 1955, April, keep in mind, Billy Woodward is still alive. He won't be shot until October 30th, and Nashua is setting the world on fire, but has not yet won that big race in the fall. Holy cats. So much to this particular piece So we're going to take this. You can find excerpts of this chapter from Music for Chameleons. The chapter is called A Beautiful Child. And you can find slices of excerpts on this on the internet, which is fine. I was lucky enough to find this book discarded from the Perry Spencer Bookmobile in Tell City, Indiana. I got my hands on this, and it's this chapter, y'all, in its entirety that is truly, truly incredible. How long have I been reading and loving this chapter? A year now? Uh, Now it's finally time to reveal all that is in here because it's going to make so much more sense in our roller coaster of nothing linear and everything connected. So, from Music for Chameleons, Chapter 6, A Beautiful Child. It's long. It's lengthy. But holy cats, it has everybody. All right, here we go. Time, the 28th of April, 1955. Scene, 
the chapel of the Universal Funeral Home at Lexington Avenue and 52nd Street, New York City. An interesting galaxy packs the pews. Celebrities, for the most part, from an international arena of theater, films, literature, all present in tribute to Constance Collier, the English-born actress who had died the previous day at the age of 75. Born in 1880, Miss Collier had begun her career as a music hall gaiety girl, graduated from that to become one of England's principal Shakespearean actresses and the longtime fiancé of Sir Max Beerbohm, whom she never married, and perhaps for that reason she was the inspiration for the mischievously unobtainable heroine in Sir Max's novel, Zulikia Dobson. Eventually, she immigrated to the United States, where she established herself as a considerable figure on the New York stage, as well as in Hollywood films. During the last decades of her life, she lived in New York, where she practiced as a drama coach of unique caliber. She accepted only professionals as students, and usually only professionals who were already stars. Catherine Hepburn was a permanent pupil. Another Hepburn, Audrey, was also a Collier protege, as were Vivian Lee, and for a few months prior to her death, a neophyte Miss Collier referred to as my quote-unquote special problem, Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> what? Holy cat, y'all, it's so coming together. Marilyn Monroe, whom I'd met through John Huston when he was directing her in her first speaking role in The Asphalt Jungle, had come under Miss Collier's wing at my suggestion. I had known Miss Collier perhaps a half dozen years and admired her as a woman of true stature, physically, emotionally, creatively, and for all her commanding manner, her grand cathedral voice, as an adorable person, Mildly wicked, but exceedingly warm, dignified, yet gumutlich. I loved to go, frequent the small lunch parties she gave in her dark Victorian studio in mid-Manhattan. She had a barrel of yarns to tell about her adventures as a leading lady, opposite Sir Beerbohm Tree and the great French actor Colquhoun, her involvements with Oscar Wilde, the youthful chaplain, and Garbo in the silent Swede's formative days. Indeed, she was a delight, as was her devoted secretary and companion, Phyllis Wilborn, a quietly twinkling maiden lady who, after her employer's demise, became and has remained the companion of Catherine Hepburn. Miss Collier introduced me to many people who became friends, the Lunts, the Oliviers, and especially Aldous Huxley. But it was I who introduced her to Marilyn Monroe, and at first it was not an acquaintance, which was too keen to acquire. Her eyesight was faulty. She had seen none of Marilyn's movies and really knew nothing about her except that she was some sort of platinum sex explosion who had achieved global notoriety. In short, 
She seemed hardly suitable clay for Miss Collier's stern, classic shaping. But I thought they might make a stimulating combination. They did. Oh, yes, Miss Collier reported to me there is something there. She is a beautiful child. I don't mean that in the obvious way, the perhaps too obvious way. I don't think she's an actress at all, not in any traditional sense. What she has, this presence, this luminosity, this flickering intelligence, could never surface on the stage. It's so fragile and subtle, it can only be caught by the camera. It's like a hummingbird in flight. Only a camera can freeze the poetry of it. What? Listen to that, y'all. Isn't that amazing? It's like a hummingbird in flight. Only a camera can freeze the poetry of it. Truman continues, From Miss Collier, But anyone who thinks this girl is simply another Harlow or Harlot, or whatever is mad. Speaking of mad, that's what we've been working on together. Ophelia. I suppose people would chuckle at the notion, but really, she could be the most exquisite Ophelia. I was talking to Greta last week, and I told her about Marilyn's Ophelia, and Greta said yes. She could believe that, because she had seen two of her films, very bad and vulgar stuff, but nevertheless, she had glimpsed Marilyn's possibilities. Actually, Greta has an amusing idea. Do you know that she wants to make a film of Dorian Gray? With her playing Dorian, of course. Well, she said she would like to have Marilyn opposite her as one of the girls Dorian seduces and destroys. Greta, so unused. Such a gift. And rather like Marilyn's, if you consider it. Of course, Greta is a consummate artist, an artist of the utmost control. This beautiful child is without any contempt of discipline or sacrifice. Somehow, I don't think she'll make old bones. Absurd of me to say, but somehow I feel she'll go young. I hope, I really pray, that she survives long enough to free the strange, lovely talent that's wandering through her like a jailed spirit. Do y'all have chill bumps over that? I do, too. The chapter continues. But now Miss Collier had died, and here I was loitering in the vestibule of the Universal Chapel, waiting for Marilyn. We had talked on the telephone the evening before and agreed to sit together at the services, which were scheduled to start at noon. She was now a half hour late. She was always late, but I thought just for once, for God's sake, God damn it. Then suddenly there she was and I didn't recognize her until she said, Oh, baby, I'm so sorry, but see, I got all made up, and then I decided maybe I shouldn't wear eyelashes or lipstick or anything, so then I had to wash that all off, and I couldn't imagine what to wear. What she had imagined to wear would have been appropriate for the abbess of a nunnery in private audience with the Pope. Her hair was entirely concealed by a black chiffon scarf, her black dress was loose and long and looked somehow borrowed. Black silk stockings dulled the blonde sheen of her slender legs. 
an abbess, one can be certain, would not have donned the vaguely erotic black high-heeled shoes she had chosen or the owlish black sunglasses that dramatized the vanilla pallor of her dairy-fresh skin. You look fine, Marilyn says, gnawing at an already chewed-to-the-nub thumbnail. Are you sure? I mean, I'm so jumpy. Where's the John? If I could just pop in there for a minute. And pop a pill? No. Shh. That's Cyril Richard's voice. He started the elegy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tiptoeing, we entered the crowded chapel and wedged ourselves into a narrow space in the last row. Cyril Richard finished. He was followed by Kathleen Nesbitt, a lifelong colleague of Miss Collier's. And finally, Brian Ahern addressed the mourners. Through it all, my date periodically removed her spectacles to scoop up tears bubbling from her blue-gray eyes. I'd sometimes seen her without makeup, but today she presented a new visual experience, a face I'd not observed before, and at first I couldn't perceive why this should be. Ah, it was because of the obscuring headscarf, with her tresses invisible and her complexion cleared of all cosmetics, she looked 12 years old, a pubescent virgin who had just been admitted to an orphanage and is grieving over her plight. At last, the ceremony ended, and the congregation began to disperse. Marilyn says, Please, let's sit here. Let's wait till everyone's left. Why? I don't want to have to talk to anybody. I never know what to say. Then you sit here and I'll wait outside. I've got to have a cigarette. You can't leave me alone. My God, smoke here. Here? In the chapel? Why not? What do you want to smoke? A reefer? Very funny. Come on, let's go. Please, there's a lot of shutterbugs downstairs, and I certainly don't want them taking my picture looking like this. I can't blame you for that. You said I looked fine. You do, just perfect if you were playing the Bride of Frankenstein. Now you're laughing at me. Do I look like I'm laughing? You're laughing inside, and that's the worst kind of laugh. Frowning, nibbling thumbnail. Actually, I could have worn makeup. I see all these other people wearing makeup. I am globs. Seriously, though, it's my hair. I need color and I didn't have time to get any. It was also unexpected, Miss Collier, dying and all. See? She lifted her kerchief slightly to display a fringe of darkness where her hair parted. Poor innocent me, says Truman, and all this time I thought you were a bona fide blonde. I am, but nobody's that natural. And incidentally, fuck you. Okay, everybody's cleared out, so up, up. Those photographers are still down there. I know it. If they didn't recognize you coming in, they won't recognize you going out. One of them did, 
but I slipped through the door before he started yelling. I'm sure there's a back entrance. We can go that way. I don't want to see any corpses. Why would we? This is a funeral parlor. They must keep them somewhere. That's all I need today, to wander into a room full of corpses. Be patient. I'll take us somewhere and treat us to a bottle of bubbly. So we sat and talked, and Marilyn said, I hate funerals. I'm glad I won't have to go to my own. Only I don't want a funeral, just my ashes cast on waves by one of my kids if I ever have any. I wouldn't have come today except Miss Collier cared about me, my welfare, and she was just like a granny, a tough old granny, but she taught me a lot. She taught me how to breathe. I've put it to good use, too, and I don't mean just acting. There are other times where breathing is a problem, but when I first heard about it, Miss Collier cooling, the first thing I thought was, Oh, gosh, what's going to happen to Phyllis? Her whole life was Miss Collier, but I hear she's going to live with Miss Hepburn. Lucky Phyllis. She's going to have fun now. I'd change places with her pronto. Miss Hepburn is a terrific lady, no shit. I wish she was my friend, so I could call her up sometimes and, well, I don't know, just call her up. We talked about how much we liked New York and loathed Los Angeles. Even though I was born there, I still can't think of one good thing to say about it. If I close my eyes and picture L.A., all I see is one big varicose vein. We talked about actors and acting. Everybody says I can't act. They said the same thing about Elizabeth Taylor, and they were wrong. She was great in A Place in the Sun. I'll never get the right part. Anything I really want, my looks are against me. They're too specific. We talked some more about Elizabeth Taylor. She wanted to know if I knew her, and I said yes. And she said, well, what is she like? What is she really like? And I said, well, she's a bit like you. She wears her heart on her sleeves and talks salty. And Marilyn said, fuck you. And well, if somebody asked me what Marilyn Monroe was like, what was Marilyn Monroe really like, what I would say... And I said that I'd have to think about that. Now, do you think we can get the hell out of here? You promised me champagne, remember? I remember, but I don't have any money. You're always late and you never have any money. By any chance, are you under the delusion that you're Queen Elizabeth? Who? Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England. Marilyn says, frowning. What's that cunt got to do with it? Queen Elizabeth never carries any money either. She's not allowed to. Filthy lucre must not stain the royal palm. It's a law or something. I wish they'd pass a law like that for me. Keep going the way you are and maybe they will. Well, gosh, how does she pay for anything? Like when she goes shopping. Her lady-in-waiting trots along with a bag full of farthings. You know what? I bet she gets everything free in return for endorsements. Very possible. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Appointment to Her Majesty. Corgi dogs, all those Fortnum and Mason goodies. Pot, condoms. What would she want with condoms? Not her, dopey. <laughs> For that chump who walks two steps behind Prince Philip. Him? Oh yeah, he's cute. He looks like he might have a nice prick. Did I ever tell you about the time I saw Errol Flynn whip out his prick and play the piano with it? Oh, well, it was a hundred years ago. 
I'd just gotten into modeling, and, and I went to this half-assed party, and Errol Flynn, so pleased with himself, he was there, and he took out his prick and played the piano with it, thumped the keys. He played. You are my sunshine. Christ. Everybody says Milton Berle has the biggest schlong in Hollywood, but who cares? Look, don't you have any money? Y'all. <laughs> Do you see how it all comes together? Isn't this the most amazing little slice of time you've ever heard? Marilyn, look, don't you have any money? Truman, maybe about 50 bucks. Well, that ought to buy us some bubbly. Outside Lexington Avenue was empty of all but harmless pedestrians. It was around two and as nice an April afternoon as one could wish. Ideal strolling weather. So we moseyed toward Third Avenue. A few gawkers spun their heads, not because they recognized Marilyn as the Marilyn, but because of her funeral finery. She giggled her special little giggle, a sound as tempting as the jingling bells on a good-humor wagon, and said, Maybe I should always dress this way. Real anonymous. Oh, y'all, just, I can't even, this, I have chills. I have chills all over. As we neared P.J. Clark's saloon, I suggested P.J.'s might be a good place to refresh ourselves, but she vetoed that. It's full of those advertising creeps and that bitch Dorothy Kilgallen. She's always in there getting bombed. What is it with these mix? The way they booze, they're worse than Indians. I felt called upon to defend Kilgallen, who was a friend, somewhat, and I allowed as to how she could upon occasion be a clever, funny woman. She said, be that as it may, she's written some bitchy stuff about me. But all those cunts hate me, Hedda, Luella. I know you're supposed to get used to it, but I just can't. It really hurts. What I ever do to those hags? The only one who writes a decent word about me is Sidney Slosky, but he's a guy. The guys treat me okay. Just like maybe I was a human person, at least they give me the benefit of the doubt. And Bob Thomas is a gentleman, and Jack O'Brien. We looked in the windows of antique shops. One contained a tray of old rings, and Marilyn said, That's pretty, the garnet with the seed pearls. I wish I could wear rings, but... I hate people to notice my hands. They're too fat. Elizabeth Taylor has fat hands. But with those eyes, who's looking at her hands? I like to dance naked in front of mirrors and watch my titties jump around. There's nothing wrong with them. But I wish my hands weren't so fat. Another window displayed a handsome grandfather clock, which prompted her to observe. I've never had a home. Not a real one with my own furniture. But if I ever get married again and make a lot of money, I'm going to hire a couple of trucks and ride down 3rd Avenue buying every damn kind of crazy thing. I'm going to get a dozen grandfather clocks and line them all up in one room and have them all ticking at the same time. That would be real homey, don't you think? Hey, across the street. What? See that sign with the palm? That must be a fortune-telling parlor. Are you in the mood for that? Well, we could take a look. It was not an inviting establishment. Through a smeared window, we could discern a barren room with a skinny, hairy gypsy lady seated in a canvas chair 
under a hell-fire red ceiling lamp that shed a torturous glow. She was knitting a pair of baby booties and did not return our stares. Nevertheless, Marilyn started to go in, then changed her mind. Sometimes I want to know what's going to happen. Then I think it's better not to. There's two things I'd like to know, though. One is whether I'm going to lose weight. And the other, that's a secret. Now, now, we can't have secrets today. Today is a day of sorrow, and sorrowers share their innermost thoughts. Well, it's a man. There's something I'd like to know, but that's all I'm going to tell. It really is a secret. And I thought, that's what you think. I'll get it out of you. I'm ready to buy that champagne. We wound up on 2nd Avenue in a gaudily decorated Chinese restaurant, but it did have a well-stocked bar, and we ordered a bottle of Mums, and it arrived unchilled and without a bucket, so we drank it out of tall glasses with ice cubes. This is fun, kind of like being on location, if you like location, which I most certainly don't. Niagara, that stinker. Yuck. So, let's hear about your secret lover. Silence from Marilyn. Silence from Truman. Marilyn giggles. Truman, silence. You know so many women. Who's the most attractive woman you know? No contest, Barbara Paley, hands down. Is that the one they call Babe? Marilyn says, frowning. She sure doesn't look like any babe to me. I've seen her in Vogue and all. She's so elegant, lovely. Just looking at her pictures makes me feel like pig slop. She might be amused to hear that. She's very jealous of you. Jealous of me? Now there you go again. Not at all. She is jealous. But why? Because one of those columnists, Kilgallen, I think, ran a blind item that said something like, Rumor hath it that Mrs. DiMaggio rendezvoused with television's toppest tycoon and it wasn't to discuss business. Well, she read that item and she believes it. Believes what? That her husband is having an affair with you, William S. Paley, TV's toppest tycoon. He's partial to shapely blondes, brunettes too. But that's batty. I've never met the guy. Aw, come on, you can level with me. The secret lover of yours. It's William S. Paley. Nespa? No, it's a writer. He's a writer. That's more like it. Now we're getting somewhere. So your lover is a writer. He must be a real hack or you wouldn't be ashamed to tell me his name. What does the S stand for? S? What S? The S in William S. Paley. Oh, that S. It doesn't stand for anything. He sort of tossed it in there for appearance sake. It's just an initial with no name behind it? My goodness, Mr. Paley must be a little insecure. He twitches a lot. But let's get back to our mysterious scribe. Stop it, you don't understand. I have so much to lose. Waiter, we'll have another mums, please. Are you trying to loosen my tongue? Yes, I'll tell you what, we'll make an exchange. I'll tell you a story, and if you think that's interesting, then perhaps we can discuss your writer friend. Marilyn, tempted but reluctant. What's your story about? Errol Flynn. Silence from Marilyn. Silence from Truman. Marilyn, hating herself. Well, go on. Remember what you were saying about Errol? How pleased he was with his prick? Well, I can vouch for that. 
We once spent a cozy evening together, if you follow me. You're making this up. You're trying to trick me. Scout's honor. I'm dealing from a clean deck. Silence, but I can see that she's hooked. So, after lighting a cigarette... Well, this happened when I was 18, 19. It was during the war, the winter of 1943. That night, Carol Marcus, or maybe she was already Carol Saroyan, was giving a party for her best friend, Gloria Vanderbilt. She gave it in her mother's apartment on Park Avenue. Big party, about 50 people. Around midnight, Errol Flynn rolls in with his alter ego, a swashbuckling playboy named Freddie McAvoy. They were both pretty loaded. Anyway, Errol started yakking with me, and he was bright, and we were making each other laugh, and suddenly he said he wanted to go to El Morocco, and did I want to go with him and his buddy McAvoy? I said okay, but then McAvoy didn't want to leave the party and all those debutantes, so in the end, Errol and I left alone. Only we didn't go to El Morocco. We took a taxi to Gramercy Park, where I had a little one-bedroom apartment. He stayed until noon the next day. And how would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Frankly, if it hadn't have been Errol Flynn, I don't think I would have remembered it. Well, that's not much of a story. Not worth mine. Not by a long shot. Waiter, where is our champagne? You have two thirsty people here. And it's not as if you told me anything new. I've always known Errol zigzagged. I have a masseur. He's practically my sister. He was Tyrone Power's masseur, and he told me about the thing Errol and Ty Power had going. No, you have to do better than that. You drive a hard bargain. I'm listening, so let's hear your best experience along those lines. The best? The most memorable? Suppose you answer the question first. And I drive hard bargains. Ha! Swallowing champagne. Joe's not bad. He can hit home runs. If that's all it takes, we'd still be married. I still love him, though. He's genuine. Husbands don't count, not in this game. Marilyn, nibbling her nail, really thinking. Well, I mean, he's related to Gary Cooper somehow, a stockbroker, and nothing much to look at. Sixty-five, and he wears those very thick glasses, thick as jellyfish. I can't say what it was, but you can stop right there. I've heard all about him from the other girls. That old swordsman really scoots around. His name is Paul Shields. He's Rocky Cooper's stepfather. He's supposed to be sensational. He is. Okay, smartass, your turn. Forget it. I don't have to tell you damn nothing. Because I know who your masked marvel is, Arthur Miller. She lowered her black glasses. Oh boy, if looks could kill, wow. I guessed as soon as you said he was a writer, Marilyn, stammering. But how? I mean, nobody. I I mean, hardly anybody. At least three, maybe four years ago at Irving Drutman. Irving who? Drutman. He's a writer on the Herald Tribune. He told me you were fooling around with Arthur Miller, how to hang up on him. I was too much of a gentleman to mention it before. Gentleman, you bastard. Stammering again, but dark glasses in place. You don't understand. That was long ago. That ended. But this is new. It's all different now. And just don't forget to invite me to the wedding. If you talk about this, I'll murder you. I'll have you bumped off. I know a couple of men who gladly do me the favor. I don't question that for an instant. At last, the waiter returned with the second bottle. 
Tell him to take it back. I don't want any. I want to get the hell out of here. Sorry if I've upset you. I'm not upset. But she was. While I paid the check, she left for the powder room, and I wish I had a book to read. Her visits to the powder room sometime lasted as long as an elephant's pregnancy. Idly, as time ticked by, I wondered if she was popping uppers or downers. Downers, no doubt. There was a newspaper on the bar. I picked it up. It was written in Chinese. After twenty minutes had passed, I decided to investigate. Maybe she'd popped a lethal dose or even cut her wrists. I found the lady's room and knocked on the door. She said, Come in. Inside, she was confronting a dimly lit mirror. I said, What are you doing? And she said, Looking at her. Her here is with a capital H, y'all. In fact, she was coloring her lips with ruby lipstick. Also, she had removed the somber headscarf and combed out her glossy, fine-as-cotton-candy hair. I hope you have enough money left. That depends. Not enough to buy pearls, if that's your idea of making amends. Marilyn, giggling, returned to good spirits. I decided I wouldn't mention Arthur Miller again. No, only enough for a long taxi ride. Where are we going? Hollywood? Hell no, a place I like. You'll find out when we get there. I didn't have to wait that long, for as soon as we'd flagged a taxi, I heard her instruct the cabbie to drive to the South Street Pier, and I thought, isn't that where one takes the ferry to Staten Island? And my next conjecture was she swallowed pills on top of that champagne and now she's off her rocker. I hope we're not going on any boat rides. I didn't pack my Dramamine. Hmm? Marilyn giggling, just the pier. May I ask why? I like it there. It smells foreign, and I can feed seagulls. With what? You don't have anything to feed them. Yes, I do. My purse is full of fortune cookies. I swiped them from that restaurant. Uh-uh. While you were in the john, I cracked one open. The slip inside was a dirty joke. Huh? Gosh, dirty fortune cookies? I'm sure the gulls won't mind. Our route carried us through the brewery. Tiny pawn shops and blood donor stations and dormitories with 50-cent cots and tiny grim hotels with dollar beds and bars for whites, bars for blacks, everywhere bums, bums, young, far from young, ancient, bums, squatting curbside, squatting amid shattered glass and pukey debris, bums slanting in the doorways and huddled like penguins at street corners. Once, when we paused for a red light, a purple-nosed scarecrow weaved toward us and began swabbing the taxi's windshield with a wet rag clutched in a shaking hand. Our protesting driver shouted Italian obscenities. What is it? What's happening? He wants a tip for cleaning the window. Marilyn, shielding her face with her purse, how horrible. I can't stand it. Give him something. Hurry, please. But the taxi had already zoomed ahead, damn near knocking down the old lush. Marilyn was crying. I'm sick. Do you want to go home? Everything's ruined. I'll take you home. Give me a minute. I'll be okay. Then we traveled on to South Street, and indeed the sight of the ferry moored there, with the Brooklyn skyline across the water in careening, cavorting seagulls white against a marine horizon, streaked with thin, fleecy clouds 
fragile as lace. This tableau soon soothed her soul. As we got out of the taxi, we saw a man with a chow on a leash, a prospective passenger walking toward the ferry, and as we passed them, my companion stopped to pat the dog's head. The man says, firm but not unfriendly, you shouldn't touch strange dogs, especially chows. They might bite you. Dogs never bite me, just humans. What's his name? Fu Manchu, says the man, Marilyn giggling. Oh, just like the movie. That's cute. The man says, what's yours? My name? Marilyn. That's what I thought. My wife will never believe me. Can I have your autograph? He produced a business card and a pen, and using her purse to write on, she wrote, God bless you, Marilyn Monroe. Thank you. Thank you, the man says. Wait till I show this back at the office. We continued to the edge of the pier and listened to the water sloshing against it. I used to ask for autographs. Sometimes I still do. Last year, Clark Gable was sitting next to me in Chasen's, and I asked him to sign my napkin. Leaning against a mooring sanction, she presented a profile, Galatea surveying unconquered distances. Breezes fluffed her hair, and her head turned toward me with an ethereal ease, as though a breeze had swiveled it. So when do we feed the birds? I'm hungry, too. It's late, and we never had lunch. Remember I said if anybody ever asked you what I was like, what Marilyn Monroe was really like? Well, how would you answer them? Her tone was teaseful, mocking, yet earnest, too. She wanted an honest reply. I bet you'd tell him I'm a slob, a banana split. Of course, but I'd also say... The light was leaving. She seemed to fade with it, blend with the sky and clouds, recede beyond them. I wanted to lift my voice louder than the seagull's cries and call her back. Marilyn, Marilyn, why did everything have to turn out the way it did? Why does life have to be so fucking rotten? I'd say... I can't hear you, says Marilyn. I'd say you are a beautiful child. Y'all, the writing in that chapter, all the dish, all the people. Truman, of course, is writing this from a posthumous rendering of this story. So there's only so much you can tell that is involved in that, but it's not even a Ramona Clay. It's Nonfiction written as fiction, uh, ish. It, it, I believe that happened. All of that tracks with the timing, with the people. I do think there's something in that that Truman writing it after it would have been sort of an homage to Breakfast at Tiffany's. Remember, Breakfast at Tiffany's comes out in '58, but Marilyn Monroe is was Truman Capote's Starlet Swan along with Jennifer Jones, again, before those high society swans come on in to the picture. Wasn't that just the most delicious roller coaster of a ride? I hope you enjoyed that as much as finding that particular chapter 
delighted me in our investigation. Y'all, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and your trashy love. I love this ride that we're on. Stay tuned Sunday for your early ad-free episode. We have a great story coming up. An even better not done yet coming next week. Holy cats, we're really cooking with Dominic Dunn juice now, and it's all coming alive. Big love to all of y'all. As always, until we meet again, stay curious and keep on investigating. Sending all the love your way. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.